to Hebrews chapter number two. Uh, this morning, I believe we're going to go ahead and get into God's word this morning. And we're going to get started here in Hebrews chapter number two. We let off around chapter number two, verse number 15. And this morning, I do hope you have a copy of God's holy word. If you're inside this morning and you need a hard copy, there's some right there in the pews. This morning, I use the ESV and there's King James and ESV right there in the pews this morning. You use whatever version you can understand and adhere to this morning. For um, we choose to believe the Bible here at Riverside because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. They are divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe that the scripture is our highest authority and the Latin phrase that we use to remember that is sola scriptura, that the Bible is our highest authority. Not the preacher's opinion, not the congregation, not the culture, not what's going on in the White House, not, going, not what the government thinks, but the Bible is our highest authority. Amen. Somebody. We also believe in sola fide, a Latin phrase that means faith. Faith alone. We believe in faith alone. We have confidence and trust in something or someone and that something is really a someone and his name is Jesus and the Latin phrase for that is sola Christus which means Christ and Christ alone. We have faith and hope and trust in Christ and Christ alone because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. We solely believe in just Jesus. Amen. We don't believe in our tithing record, our church attendance. We don't believe in our volunteer hours that saves us is solely Christ and Him alone. And that's simply grace that we're saved at all. And that's the Latin phrase, sola gracia. It's grace and grace alone that we've not earned grace. For we got to work on Monday. We work all the way to Friday. We expect a paycheck because those are our wages. We expect that. But we cannot expect grace because the only thing we've earned is the wrath of God. If we're going to heaven today, it's simply, simply by grace and grace alone. Here also, on top of the beautiful present that God has given us, these five solas is wrapped up with the fifth sola, which is sole deo gloria. That means that it's for God's glory and His glory alone. That the scriptures talk about him and give him glory that we have faith in Christ and Christ gives us grace and it's all culminating for God's glory and his glory alone so opening your Bible to Hebrews chapter number 2 picking up in verse number 15 and deliver all of death that is the devil deliver all those through fear of death were subjected to lifelong slavery here the, the author of Hebrews is telling us that Christians are delivered from the fear of death now, this past week, we laid one of our very own Gary Tyner in the ground. But it's not a forever goodbye. It's just for a little while. We've even got prayer requests this morning of people in our community that have passed away. And yes, because of the coronavirus, the, the numbers are high. People have been passing away. But 10 out of 10 people die. But the, the thing is, that even though you may be facing death or the, 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 the pro prospect of death, because one day you will die, you don't have to fear. Amen. 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 That when the Christian dies, you're only changing your dress. You will go on and live eternally through, the, through trusting in Jesus. You have eternal life. But the truth is that if you don't trust in Jesus, you will continue to live as well. But it will be a lot more smoky. Amen. It will be in a place where eternal torment. Uh, but Christian, this morning, by trusting in Jesus, you have eternal life. Amen. That should be enough to shout about alone. That Jesus gives sinners reprieves and grace and mercy and setting them in right standing before God that we don't have to fear death we don't have to have a lifelong slavery of the fear of death many times our, our fears are more of a prison than the actual event that takes place the anxieties and the worries we worry about those things and they lock us up in a prison but here scripture tells us that Christians do not have to fear death amen somebody that's good to know yes it's easy to preach but there'll come a day when this preacher will either suddenly die on the spot or he might be graced with a deathbed to have my loved ones crowded around. I'm not promised either one but I do know that Jesus will take my hand and I will walk over into that blessed land where I know my loved ones are but what makes it heaven is that Jesus is there. Amen. So we see this morning as we pick up in verse 16 the author continues for surely it is not 
angels that He helps. But He helps the offspring of Abraham. You must understand that it's the author here, and some say it's Apollos, and some say it's Paul. I know it's Jesus either way. It tells us that He doesn't help the angels. When the angels overstep their boundaries and they are, are, are erupting in a war in heaven, and the angels, uh, the angels were pulled down by the dragon, as we read in the book of Revelation, as their demons, those who are dark angels, who engage in war against the saints and the will of God, that Jesus does not redeem them. For they are, many of them are chained as we read in the book of Daniel and in the book of Isaiah and even in Revelation that they're awaiting their point in time when they will face God on judgment day. We don't see where Jesus comes and redeems angels. But we do see that He redeems. He helps the offspring of Abraham. You might say, well, that's good. Well, I'm not the offspring of Abraham. My great-granddaddy is Jeremiah, whatever. You put it in the last name there. I, I'm not descended from Abraham. I'm not Jewish in any way. I, I come from a long line of bootleggers and horse thieves and wife beaters and drug addicts. That's, that's my heritage. I'm not part of the tribe of Abraham. But have you read your Bible? Have you not read in Romans chapter 11, verse 23, that when you are in Christ, Christ, you are grafted in into the family. Amen. You are part of the tribe of Abraham. You are grafted in. You once were an orphan because of sin. All you knew was sin. But Jesus in His forbearance and His mercy grafted you into the family. So that verse reads a little different. It hits different when we understand that we are grafted into Abraham. To the promises of Abraham. To the promises of God. Remember the promise to Abraham was, I will send a Messiah. I'm going to make everything. I'm coming to save you. He told that to Abraham. And now those promises fall on you. That there will be a hero. And it ain't you. It ain't your preacher. It ain't your deacons. It ain't your denomination. It ain't your political affiliation. The hero's name is Jesus. And He helps those who are part of the family. This morning, family. I know things might have been hard. Things may have wrecked you and hurt you. Loneliness might have ripped you asunder. But this morning, you're a part of His family. And you can have joy unspeakable. I, I didn't say you'd be happy. Now, don't get me wrong. Sinners can be happy. The sinners can be in their penthouse drinking their martinis, indulging in sin, being happy. But Christian, you, you will never be happy indulging in sin. But Christian, you can have joy. Now that transcends happiness. Joy stays no matter what happens. Joy stays when you have cancer. You may not be happy about cancer. Joy stays when you lay a loved one in the dust. Joy stays when your body just don't act right. Joy stays when your children have lost their mind. Joy stays no matter where you are on the tax bracket. Joy stays. Joy is knowing that you're in right standing with God. So I don't care what this life takes from me. I still have joy. As the sea billows roll, as that song, it is well with my soul, knowing I'm in right standing with God. Do you have that today, hearer? Do you have that today, church attender? Do you have joy unspeakable? I ain't worried about your happiness. That's for somebody else to handle. That's for that's for twelve steps to a prosperous checkbook, or uh, even in our time and season and culture. I don't want to. I can't even fathom how many churches just this week and next week will try to have TED Talks and, and, and inspirational speeches on how to, have, how to have a great marriage. Let's go beyond those things. Yes, if you get right with Jesus, everything else will fall in order. Let's don't talk about low things. Let us not have a running commentary on what's going on in the nation or the White House or the Senate. Let's talk about eternal things. Things that are joy unspeakable. Tell me about how He died for me, bore my iniquities, and saved a wretch like me. Amen, somebody. So we see here. He don't help angels, y'all. Let's just put it down to brass tacks and say it plainly. He helps people like us. 
Oh, oh, that's good to my soul. Yes, I got a lot of friends and I got a, I got a lot of enemies too. I got a lot of family. And they would help me and do for me as much as they can. But we're, they're only limited on what they can do. But I got one friend. Hear me. I got one friend who sticks closer than a brother. I got one friend who will never let me know. I got one friend who will not get weary in putting up with me. I got one friend who won't walk out on me. Oh, that's, and His name. Let me tell you His name this morning. I wonder if you know Him. The greatest human to walk across the horizon of humanity. We lift Him up here and make much of Him. The champion of grace. A Savior. A, a King of kings. And a Lord of lords. And He takes time. He takes time, y'all, to, to hear my pleas. He takes time to hear my cries. He sympathizes with me. He understands me. When you don't, he, He's not confused about my attitude. He's not surprised when I fall. And His name is Jesus. That's my introduction. He helps the offspring of Abraham. He helps the family. In verse 17, Therefore, whew, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Mm, that's so good. Let's break it down and understand what we're reading here. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. He had to be made like us. He had to be flesh and bone. There are those in world religions who believe in Jesus. Don't get me wrong. They, they believe in a historical Jesus. They believe He's a good man. He was a good teacher. However, we don't believe that He's a good man. We believe He's a God-man. The God-man. A down-to-earth deity. I don't apologize. I want you to understand I'm not going to mince words. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that He is the exact imprint of God the Father. We believe that He was crucified and laid in a borrowed tomb and on the third day woke up and stood up and was living. He's a God-man. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 that God took Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That He bore our iniquities. He bore our sins. The author goes on to say that in every respect, that He's to be like us in every respect. He was, yes, definitely God and man. Flesh and bone. But I don't know about y'all, but I can't relate to a God who don't cry. I can relate to a God who does not shed a tear when I cry. I know a lot of people, but it's something about when somebody sympathizes with you. Do you know what I'm saying? I've been there. I know what you're going through. It's something about when someone knows what it's like to lose a loved one. It's just something about that. It's something about when someone is on the bed of affliction. And all they can do is hang on with wires all over them and they're in pain. There's just something about uh, confiding in someone who understands what you're facing. It's just something about talking to someone who's been in a valley. It's just something about, it's just something about talking to someone who's been through hard times. You just relate to them. I can't relate to a God who's never felt aches and pains. I can't relate to a God who sits in a throne in heaven so far away that I can't reach Him. I can't. I'm just going to be honest. Maybe y'all can, but I can't. I can't relate to a God who's all-powerful and almighty who never had to deal with any pressure, who never had to face humanity face to face and looking at people who's going to betray you and still love them. I can. I, I look at people and I love them. They'll stab me in the back. 
But Jesus, he understands. I don't think you heard me outside. I think the signal might be dropping. Jesus understands. I can relate to Jesus. For he bled and I bleed. He's flesh and bone. I'm flesh and bone. I know y'all think I'm Superman, but I ain't. Ask my wife. Uh, Jesus was betrayed. Did y'all know he even washed the feet of Judas? He washed Judas's feet knowing that he was going to betray him. He still loved him. I can relate to Jesus. He cried when Lazarus died. And Jesus that never shed a tear. I can't relate to him. But he's the perfect high priest for someone like me. He became weak. The Almighty God became flesh and bone to relate to me. Preacher, if I could, like the song said a while ago, this is my story, this is my song. If I could tell you the story, if I could tell you the song, if I could tell you all the things that I've been through, it would shock you. Well, I want to let you know, no matter what the story is, no matter what the song is this morning, you will not shock Jesus. He will not be shocked that you come from a dirt floor family. He will not be shocked that your life is dysfunctional. He will not be shocked and surprised at your story. Uh, let's get back to the text. Oh, this is so good, y'all. I hope y'all are paying attention. If I see anybody slipping, if I see anybody slipping or sleeping, I'm gonna pop you with his microphone because it's too good to miss. Looking at verse 17, he says, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every respect. He's like us in every respect. Meaning he's flesh and bone. You know how the devil told Adam and Eve? He says, you'll be like God. They already were like God. But now they're fallen. And to reach us, he sends his son on a rescue mission to die for sinners. He sends his son... To chase us, to find us. You hear the phrase, oh, they found Jesus. They found religion. Isn't that funny how we say that? Jesus ain't missing. We're not looking for Jesus. Jesus looks for us. He leaves the 99 to find that one. I tell you what, if you ain't never been that one, that don't hit like it should. But if you've been that one, Hear me this morning. If you've been caught up in the briars, if you're off on the beat path, if you're stuck and you can't get to Jesus, don't worry. He'll get to you. Boy, that's good. <laughs> My voice is going in and out. I'm sorry, but try to, try to understand what I'm saying. Even if my voice cracks, plague, pay close attention to what I'm saying. That He helps the family. He becomes like us in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That Jesus is our high priest. Now you must understand, to a Hebrew, the high priest is the pinnacle of their religion. For the high priest would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement to the Holy of Holies. Now if you want here this past, past summer, we went through the book of Genesis and Exodus together. And we studied the high priest and his role and what he did. And the Holy of Holies. For there was a temple, a tabernacle. It was basically a tent that they built. And they would go in and worship God. And the Holy of Holies was the most sacred place where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And only once a year did a high priest go into the Holy of Holies. He had to go in and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. The top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. And he only did it once a year. He does it to atone for the sins of Israel. The nation's sins. He would go in and sprinkle the blood. And that was his job. To a Hebrew who now has been converted to a Christian. When they hear that, it blows their mind that Jesus is their ultimate high priest. That Jesus doesn't go in to sprinkle the blood of bulls and goats any longer. But He goes in and He sprinkles His own blood to atone for the blood, to, to, to atone for the sins of His people. 
Amen to somebody. He's a faithful high priest. Notice, he's faithful. I've come across a lot of people who are not reliable. Oh, they, they're talented, they're good at what they do. They're just not reliable. They, 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 they're wishy-washy. They're up one minute and down the next. But notice one of the descriptions of Jesus is that He's faithful. Did you know that Jesus is faithful even when you're not? Jesus is a faithful high priest. We see here, He's the faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This word propitiation, I know it's a big word and it might be an alien word to many of us. But let's break this down. What does exactly, what exactly does that mean this morning, preacher? Propitiation means to appease or to satisfy. See, you must understand, listener, that you're indebted to God from the moment your crown breaks forth from your mother's womb. From birth, you are a sinner. Don't get me wrong, there's some good people in our eyes, we think they're good people. In fact, many people will boast about how good they are. Yes, I tithe. Yes, I've been baptized. Yes, I volunteer. Yes, I'm kind. I don't even cuss most of the time. I, I'm a good person. Martin Luther, the founder of the Reformation, was sitting at his desk around the 1500s. He was looking out the window and he looked over at a tablecloth that he had right there on his desk. And then he looked back out the window. He looked at the tablecloth again and he thought about how white that tablecloth was. He thought, well, that tablecloth is mighty clean. But then he looked outside where there's fresh fallen snow. And then he saw what true white was. Comparing the tablecloth to the fresh fallen snow, he saw how dingy the tablecloth actually was. He saw the stains. He actually thought, well, that tablecloth is nasty compared to the purity of the fresh fallen snow. One of my hardest jobs as a preacher is this. It's not the dude on the corner who's drunk out of his mind. It's not the gambler. It's not even the wife beater or the meth out of the crackhead. They know they're wicked. They, the whore who stands on the corner selling her body, she knows. She knows what she's doing is wicked. But it's hard-hearted people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be good in their own eyes. It's hard to reach them. It's almost as if they've become gospel-hardened. They believe that they're good and that their works will get them into heaven. Your works won't save you. They just won't. Your tithing record will not save you. Your church attendance will not save you. Your volunteer hours, they just will not. It's not enough. Even if you start today and turn a new leaf, even if you started Alcoholics Anonymous just today, it's not enough. If you just decide to quit pornography just today, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to do that anymore. If you just started today to stop beating your wife, if you started today volunteering at the food pantry, being kind, or maybe you just decide to recycle, all those things we deem as important and good in our eyes is still not enough. You must understand that we're indebted to God. We're sinners from birth. All we can do and all we want to do is sin. I'm not trying to teach you to be moral and kind and nice because moral and kind and nice people still go to hell. There's people in hell who don't cuss. There's people in hell who don't drink caffeine. There's people in hell who don't drink alcohol or smoke because that's not what saves you. 
There's people in hell who don't have any tattoos. There's people in hell, hell right now with clean shaved haircuts and they're wearing ties. That's not what saves you. There's people in hell right now who are part of a Baptist church, a Pentecostal church. They're on the roll. They would be there every week. There's even people in hell who sang in the choir. There's people in hell right now who are Sunday school attendants. They have Awana badges and ribbons. They, they, they understand the Bible, even the maps in the back. But that's not what saves you. We're going to go through the law really quick. For this is the standard to get to heaven. This is the standard. We're going to go from 10 backwards. Because that number 1, we can't even get past number 1. We just start 10. Maybe we can ease our way into number 1. Let's do that. The 10th commandment is, Thou shalt not envy. Thou shalt not be jealous or covet. I don't know about you, but I've seen my neighbors and what they have, and I covet. Why can't I have that? I deserve that. I count their blessings while I ignore my own. Jealousy and covetousness. Have you ever done that in your entire life? Have you ever done the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not lie. Doesn't matter how big or how small the lie is. Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever lied? Ever. That's before I knew better. The eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen anything? Downloaded anything that didn't belong to you? Took something? Snatched it up? Thou shalt not steal. Have you ever cheated on your taxes? Not told Caesar what exactly, how much denarii you had? Have you ever lied and stolen something ever your entire life? But I was younger. Have you ever committed adultery? No, I hadn't done that, preacher. Let's go a step further. Jesus explains on the Mount of Olives. On the Sermon Mount, he says, Have you ever looked at a woman or man and lusted in your heart? It's the same as adultery. Have you ever done that? Done it with your body or your mind? Committed adultery. Lusted and longed for someone. Doesn't matter if it's homosexual or heterosexual. Have you ever done that? Ooh, I don't like this sermon. I don't want to preach it. I'm just being honest. The sixth commandment, Thou shalt not kill. Oh, that's good. I ain't killed nobody. I ain't, I ain't murdered anybody. I wanted to. Jesus tells us again on the Sermon Mount, if you call somebody an idiot or a fool or held out unforgiveness, slandered their name and hated them, it's the same as murder. It's not looking good for many of us. It ain't looking good for me at all. I don't know about you. Maybe you got through those unscathed. Then we come to the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and mother. Honor them no matter how old they are. How senile you think they are. How crazy you think they are. They're all archaic ways. No matter. Honor your father and mother no matter how young you are or how old you are. Honor your mother and father. How many of us can say we didn't walk in our bedrooms as our mama or our daddy is chewing us out and roll our eyes? That's disrespectful and dishonoring. Saying a slightful comment to them or talking back, being angry with them and arguing, disrespecting them. Or even now, when you're an adult, pushing them into a, a retirement center and never seeing them, giving them a death sentence and ignoring them because you're just too busy. Dishonoring your mother and father. Or the fourth commandment. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Oh, 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 preacher, I do that. I go to church. But when you go to church, do you honor God or do you come to gossip? Ooh, it got real quiet. It's been quiet, but it's real quiet now. Do you go to see who's wearing what and who actually came and who didn't? Do you go with the motives of worshiping God and feasting on His Word? Do you go to lift up His name? Just an extension of what you've done all week long. It's just you get to do it corporately. 
together with the body of Christ to worship with the family of Christ. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Have you ever stayed home because it was rainy? Have you ever stayed home because it was cold? Have you ever stayed home because it was sunny and nice? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The third commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Saying, oh my, I can't even say it. Or using His name as a cuss word of surprise and shock. He even says, I will not keep you. You will not be blameless on judgment day. Have you ever blasphemed His holy name? Let's go a step further. Have you ever done something underhanded in the name of God, but you had your own secret motives to do it? Yes, preacher. I'll, 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 I'll sponsor that camper to go to camp. Here's the money. And you wanted to make sure everybody knew about it. Yeah, I did something in the name of the Lord. But really, it was to make me look good. That I shall not blaspheme His holy name. People do that every day in text. They type OMG in their text. They're blaspheming God's holy name. They said it in front of TVs and movies from Hollywood where they blaspheme the holy name of God. And they laugh and they think it's no big deal. But it's His holy name and it's a direct commandment. And Christians are buying this entertainment and media. And they're applauding and supporting blaspheming His holy name. Have you ever done that? The second commandment is thou shalt not have any idols. Well, I don't have any Buddhas in my house. I don't have any little statues that I bow down to. Well, your idol might be the car you drive. It might be your job. It might be your grandchildren. It might be your babies. It might, be, it might even be your little foo-foo poodle. We simply create idols, fashion them with our minds and even make them with our hands. We worship those things. That's what we live for. That's what we will die for. We spend our money and our time on our idols. It could be a hobby. It could be your job. It could be your family. You make a good thing, a God thing, that's a bad thing. Have you ever had an idol? I don't know about y'all, but I, I'm not getting through this very good at all. If this is the litmus test to get to heaven, I, I failed way back at number 10. But here's the final one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. With all your mind, acknowledge Him in all your ways. Have you always loved Jesus? 24 hours a day. 365. Not one minute wavering. Not one minute keeping your eyes off. Don't taking your eyes off the cross. But always serving and worshiping Jesus. Never failing in any matter whatsoever. Have you walked out of this unscathed? No, you're just like me. Welcome to the family. We see that the wrath of God burns against sinners. And I just went through ten reasons why you are a sinner. Wait a minute, preacher, you're supposed to make me feel good. You're supposed to tickle my ears and make me giggle and tell me how cute I am. I hold up the scriptures and it's a mirror and it shows you how dirty you are. Like Martin Luther comparing that dirty tablecloth to the fresh fallen snow. Even our good works, our best works are tainted. We're sinners at our best compared to Jesus. Jesus, who's holy in all His endeavors, never taking His eyes off the Father, never sinning in any way. I recently had somebody say, well, Jesus made a whip and beat people in church. Well, they needed it. He didn't sin when He did that. He never dishonored His parents, never dishonored the Sabbath day, never worshipped idols all His days. Never coveted or anything anybody. He never lusted a single day of his life. Jesus was perfect in all his ways. You must understand that Jesus never failed God. Because if he did, when he died on the cross, he only died for his sins. We needed a perfect sacrifice to extinguish the wrath of God on sinners like me. 
For there's wrath that burns against you, sinner. There's anger in God towards sinners. We don't hear about that much. We only hear that God is love. But we must understand, if you love something, you got to hate something else. If you love babies, I love babies. I like to hold them, smell them. I know that sounds weird, but they got to smell. You know what I mean? I love children. I love them. So I hate abortion. I hate it. To love something, you have to hate something else. God loves saints. He hates sin and sinners. Wait a minute, I heard that phrase where love the sinner but hate the sin. Which one does he put in hell? Does he just simply put the sin in hell or the sinner? The sinner is a sinner because they're born that way. A liar is a liar because they lie. They're liars. That's all they can do. And they can't just change. If today you say, well, I'm just going to start doing better. I'm going to start here today. What about all the other stuff you did in the past? What's going to wipe that out? Try that with your light company. Hey, today, I'm just going to start fresh. I'm not going to pay. Uh, I'm not going to spend any more money and turn the lights on. But what about yesterday when you had that glow lamp in your living room growing that marijuana? What about, what about the other day when you had all the windows open and the air conditioner running and that meter was flying? What about all the yesterday debts? If you just decided today, I'm going to do better. It don't wipe away yesterday. So what are you going to do? When I stand before God, I'll slip him a 20. Me and God are good like that. Now I'll bribe God. If you bribe God, that means he's not a good God. He's corrupt. Maybe he'll look away. No, he won't look away. Listen to me today, sinner. He will not look over your pornography and say, it's okay. He will not say, you shacking up and defiling the marriage bed? No problem, I just look the other way. He will not try to say, well, you, you attended church a lot and it wipes away your wickedness and the scale is balanced. That's not how it works. You're found in wanting. You're depraved. And you will bust hell wide open. If the ground underneath your feet opened up right now, and swallowed you and pulled you down to the depths of hell, all of creation will applaud and say, yes, finally, this world is ridden of a wicked sinner like that. Why are you being so mean? Preacher! I know there ain't no horns blowing if anybody's even out there anymore. The only reason y'all are still in here because you'll see me walk out. I'm just trying to prove the point that we're sinners. Not a cutesy cartoon sinner. I, I'm depraved and wicked and I deserve hell. Not, not, I don't deserve the, just the bad part. I need the worst part of hell and that includes you and me. Many pulpits, all they preach, there is no more lake of fire. It's only puppies and pancakes lakes. That we fall in puppies and pancakes. That hell is a fun place. No, it's eternal damnation. But you don't understand that God is in hell too. He's inflicting His wrath and His punishment on sinners. There is no comfort in hell. And it goes on for eons and eons. So we see that Jesus is our propitiation. What I'm telling you today is you sinned against the holy God. How can you break even with God? What will you do? Your works? That's not enough. If you just start today being kind and nice... That's not a, if you just try to choose one of the world religions, reincarnation. Reincarnation is a fable. It will not save you. All these other gods and all these other world religions, they never deal with sin. Islam does not deal with sin in any way. They beat their followers into submission to adhere to the teachings of Allah and Muhammad. They don't deal with sin. Hinduism does not deal with sin. New Ageism does not deal with sin. The issue is sin. The issue is us. The issue is our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart above all things is wicked, depraved and fallen. Who can help it? But we read here, now that I've took all your hope, I took all your trophies and your accolades and all your accomplishments. I snatched them from you this morning. Now you should be desperate. There once was a man who had a bad infection in his arm. It, it, this infection was eating his arm 
So he goes to a renowned doctor. But he knew that doctor had treatments that would hurt him gravely and almost be on the borderline of torturous. So he tries to talk his way out of the treatments. And the doctor says, you know what? We've sat here and we've talked about this thing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to prescribe you to go to someone else. The man says, well, why would you do that? He says, well, the infection in your arm is bad enough. If I don't treat it, it's going to hurt. It's going to be bad. It will actually kill you. Well, don't refer me to somebody else. Help me right where I am. He says, you do realize it's going to hurt. You do realize you're going to wish you were dying. You're going to wish you were dead, really. So why refer me, sir? Why? The doctor answered back, because you're not bad off enough for me to help you. There's some of y'all, y'all are too good for Jesus to save. You're just too good. I, I, I don't need Jesus. I'm doing good all on my own. You'll be shocked on judgment day. When Isaiah 64 verse 6, your righteousness is a filthy rag to God. It will not save you. In fact, it will ruin you, trusting in your good works. So what does that mean that Jesus is our propitiation? The blood of Jesus that flowed from Emmanuel's veins extinguished the wrath of God against you. I don't think y'all heard me. That His blood extinguished His wrath towards you. Oh, that's so good to me. Maybe y'all ain't as bad as me. I know where hence He has saved me from. I know His blood extinguished the fire that burned against me. I know He saved a wretch like me. Do you hear me this morning? Propitiation means to satisfy. Now this word has two meanings and we'll go through the first one now. To satisfy. The word is satisfy. Don't worry about them babies crying. This don't bother me at all. The word means to satisfy. That means to, to, to extinguish. The debt is paid. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, He said, it is finished. There ain't nothing else to do. You can't add to it or take it away. Jesus has satisfied. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The cost and the price of sin is death. Jesus died in the stead of sinners. God took Him who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Took Him who knew no sin and placed on Him the iniquity of us all. He satisfied the cost. The price has been paid in full. Oh, listen to me, sinner, this morning. You are set free. You are redeemed. You are as seen as spotless before God. There is no ought against you now, oh Christian, when you put your trust in Jesus. For He is our propitiation. He is our satisfaction before God. Not the blood of bulls and goats. But the high priest of Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It was Jesus who died for us. Now, now, now. This gets really good, so try to contain yourself. We're a free will Baptist, y'all. Nobody start running. The preacher might because it's that good. But listen, propitiation means that he puts me in right standing with God. So that means I break even with God. He's not mad at me anymore. Have you ever not been bad with anybody anymore? But you don't really have affection towards them. You're numb. But Jesus lived a life never breaking any of God's laws, never never lusting, never coveting, never holding a grudge, never lying, never dishonoring the Sabbath, never, never having any idols, loving God with all His heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it pleased God. But we see, it's called the great exchange. All of Jesus' goodness, hear me now, was accredited to those who believe in Him. It was credited to you and you and you. It was accredited to you. You're breaking even. Your sins of the past are washed away. And now you have in your account 
righteousness and goodness. He died the death that you deserve because He lived a life that you could never live. Are you hearing me? <laughs> I'm forgiven. And I have righteousness accredited to me. That's enough to humble anybody. He saved me. And He keeps me. He holds me. He uplifts me. He walks with me. And He calls me His very own. Propitiation. He bore my sins. He took on my sins. And then He gives me righteousness and goodness and mercy. He takes my grudges and gives me grace. He takes my anger and gives me mercy. He takes my bitterness and makes me better. He takes my rage and gives me peace. He takes my wishy-washy ways and gives me faithfulness. That's my Jesus. He is my propitiation. Not only does He wipe away my sins, He accredits goodness and mercy towards me. The things that Jesus earned that I could never earn. He accounts them to me. To drive this home that once was a, a kingdom. And in this kingdom there was a, an old widow and she had a beautiful little daughter. And she found out that her daughter was gravely sick. She tried everything and she come to find out that fruits and vegetables are the only thing that would help her to recover. But here in this kingdom, they were hard to come by and she was very poor. So she gathered up all the little change she could with her purse and went out into the market, could not find any fruits and vegetables and things that she needs. So she scours the dominion of the kingdom and she looks everywhere for the antidote to help her beautiful daughter. As she comes close to the palace, she sees the prince out in the garden. He's tending beautiful vegetables that look like they've been touched by the hand of God. She grabs her purse and she looks at the prince. Please, your highness, your majesty, can I buy those vegetables? Can I? My, my child is on death, death's door. The prince looks at her and smiles kindly, turns around and starts snipping and taking the fruit and vegetables and putting them in a big basket. He orders his servants to gather as much as she could carry and even has the servants walk with her back to her home to save her ailing child. She thrusts her purse into his chest and says, please, take this. Take this. The prince kindly smiles at her and says, my darling, I'm far too rich to take that and you're far too poor to buy any of this. Simply it was grace. Listen, church attender, inside or outside, listening by podcast or watching by television, you cannot buy this kind of mercy. You cannot earn this kind of grace. For He's far too rich for you to afford it. And you're far too poor to purchase it. Jesus dies for sinners. I'll say it again. Jesus dies for sinners. Because that's all there is. <laughs> that's so good to me. I couldn't get past that without laughing. Because that's all there is. There are no good, not one. There's none here today who deserve heaven. If you're sitting here today, inside or outside, and you think you deserve heaven, rest assured you ain't going. If you're humble today, to know that Jesus is your propitiation, that His blood 
extinguishes the wrath that burns against you. And His righteousness was accredited to your account. And your filthy, depraved lifestyle was placed on the shoulders of Jesus. And He was crushed on our behalf. He bore our iniquities. By His stripes we are healed. It was Christ who saved us. It was Jesus who died for someone like me. When I could not earn my way to heaven, it was Him who simply came on a rescue mission to die for someone like me. Amen. Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is our identity. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our champion of grace. Jesus. I hope y'all don't get tired of hearing that because I like talking about Jesus. If you don't like Jesus, you better find somewhere else to go because there's a lot of churches today are trying to tell you how to have your, have your best life now. If your best life is now, then you're going to hell, obviously. I'm here to tell you that life will be hard. There'll be ups and downs. You'll be in a valley. You'll be on a mountaintop. The mountain will be on top of you some days. Some days you'll be in a pit. I'm not trying to tell you that life is going to be easy. In fact, when you come to Jesus, it's going to get a lot rougher. But He said, He said this, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you can take all the hell comes at you Knowing that Jesus is with you. That not only did He save you, not only did He purchase you by the shedding of His blood, He keeps you. <laughs> That's what I like that part a lot. That He keeps me when I can't even keep myself. I can't keep myself together. I can't make myself do better. It takes the supernatural work of God to change the heart of a sinner. You're here today, you're a porn addict. Only Jesus can change you. You're here today, you're an alcoholic. You're unfaithful. You're bitter. You bear grudges. You're angry. Only Jesus is your only hope. And if you are feeling a prickling, a ripping and a sunder of your soul today, cry out to Jesus. Jesus, will you take me as I am? Even though I smell like smoke. Even though I got a hangover. Even though I got issues and I'm mad and I'm bitter. Jesus, will you take me as I am? And I guarantee you, He will not look you up and down saying, No, nah, man, you're too nasty. You're too dirty. You need to go home and clean out your refrigerator. You need to get rid of your internet at your house because you're going some places you shouldn't go. You need to pluck out your eyes because everywhere you look, you're either jealous or you're lusting. He will not by any means tell you those things. He says, come as you are. Now there are those who are listening right now, you could care less. You're ready to get the golden corral. I ain't even talking to you. You're already lost. You're going to hell. But there are those who are broken to the core. And you're reaching out and grasping out, save me, Jesus, save me. And He will and He does. Let us bow our heads. Father, this morning I pray that You build Your church. You build Your congregation. You build Your people and Your saints. This morning, Lord Jesus, I pray by Your power and Your might and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that You remind Your saints that You've atoned for them, that You have died for them, that You have purchased them by Your blood.